Hello, fans and loyal listeners of the Wide Angle Podium network of shows. It's Rob here. We've got a little pre-roll, which you know means something big, a big piece of news is about to be dropped. We are running our very first ever contest, the Criterium and Waffle Contest, to be exact. We have partnered with our friends from the Belgian Waffle Ride and our very good friends with Source Endurance to give away two entries to your choice of Belgian Waffle Ride event in 2022. That's right, two entries, one for the women and one for the men, to your choice of Belgian Waffle Ride event in 2022. We are gearing this towards those of us who are mixed terrain curious, not a lot of experience, but who've been riding their road bikes forever and want to give it a shot. And they want to do it at the best Mixed terrain races in the country, Asheville, Lawrence, San Marcos, or Cedar City, the BWR races. So here's what you got to do. Send us a clip, video, audio, whatever it happens to be, to criteriumnation at gmail.com. Hit us up in our DMs at criteriumnation on Twitter or Instagram with a video of you explaining why you think you are the ideal road racing, mixed terrain, gravel racing noob that should win these entries. All submissions are due by 12.01 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time on April 3rd, 2022 to be eligible. We will be off next week, but We will be announcing the winner in our episode, our season preview episode on April 6th. So reach out to us again at Criterium Nation on Instagram or Twitter or via email, criteriumnation at gmail.com with your submissions. We are so excited and so thankful for our friends from the Belgian Waffle Ride and Source Endurance. on this show, we've featured a lot of winners. We've featured a lot of champions. We've featured people who have results, the Palomars, oh, strike that, Palmares, to back up their statements and to back up what they say about their accomplishments. Sometimes, however, the accomplishment is not about you versus other people, but rather you versus yourself with other people around you. I know it's a little convoluted, it's a little complicated, but there are races within side of races. And the hardest race that most of us ever run is that where we compete against ourselves. We can self-sabotage. We can have negative thoughts. We can have invasive thoughts. And those thoughts can be our greatest enemy and our greatest rival. Some of us have the capacity to confront that rival. Like today's guest, Paige Kostanecki, who races for ButcherBox Cycling. 
Paige has faced those demons, those challenges, those voices inside of her head telling her that she cannot do what she knows she is capable of doing. She has put in the miles, put in the training, put in the hard work, and sometimes in her past, it has been her that has stopped her from succeeding. I have known Paige for a while. I wanted to get her on the show for a while. And when Celine and Alan said, let's go, let's do this, we got one of the most attacking attack style racers on the show to help us explore what it is to confront your own negative voice and turn what was negative into a positive for you, for you to say, stop, no. This is not how it's going to be done in the middle of the race and to believe it and to act upon it. My name is Rob Kelly. This is Criterium Nation, a show about life lived one corner at a time. We are part of the wide-angle podium network of shows, the internet, the galaxy, the multiverse's only home of independent cycling media. WideAnglePodium.com is your source for everything that you want to know about the other great shows like Slow Ride, Cyclocross Radio, Nowhere Fast, and The Grodio. Go there, check it out, and please, become like Scott Patton. Support this show through your generosity and donation because last episode I was able to nail the intro in under five minutes and I made good on a promise that Scott had made to me. We are brought to you this week by our friends at Manscaped, manscaped.com, your home for the ultra premium collection, the Lawnmower 4.0, and the Weed Whacker, along with a lot of other great things. Go to manscaped.com, use the promo code Criterium Nation for 20% off plus free shipping. What are you going to find there? What am I going to talk about to excess this week? I boasted last week that I was on my way down to see the Project Echelon guys at their team camp and I wanted to look fresh. I will report back now. I did look fresh. I felt fresh. I felt at my best because I used the lawnmower. I used the weed whacker. I was trim, ready, perfect to meet the guys from Project Echelon, all of them talked about it with them at their team camp, and now I'm talking about it here again with you. Quality engineered products designed for specific purposes to keep your sensitive skin and sensitive parts with less irritation than other tools. The Lawnmower 4.0 and the Weed Whacker are perfect. Go to manscaped.com, use the promo code Criterium Nation for 20% off plus free shipping. We are also brought to you this week by our friends at Hammerhead, the creators of the Karoo 2. I've had my Karoo 2 now for a couple of months. I want to talk about two quick things here. First, the touchscreen feature. I was super skeptical about this touchscreen when it came my way, and I was shocked and surprised to learn that there were buttons, so I didn't need to be super skeptical about it because I could go between screens and do all the functionality with these two buttons that are on the side or four buttons that are on the side, two sets of them. But the touchscreen, it it really works. I knew that it worked for our friends for Legion of Los Angeles out in Southern California where they don't have winter. They don't have to wear heavy, thick gloves. I knew that the touchscreen was good for Justin Williams and, and the men and women on his team. But what about me here in Washington, D.C., where I have to wear thick gloves because... 
there's a proper winter. I didn't think that the touchscreen would be responsive. Oh, was I wrong? Touchscreen, super responsive, even in the thickest of thick gloves that I'm wearing. Last week, when I was down with the guys at Project Echelon, I got to finally use the mapping feature to its full extent. It saved my butt one evening or one afternoon, late afternoon into evening when I had gotten dropped because I was cracked. I used the breadcrumb feature to find my way from where I cracked in West Bend or whatever it happens to be, North Carolina to Winston-Salem. It was 15 very long, very slow miles, but I was able to follow the breadcrumbs on the Karoo 2 map to get me back home to safety and salvation. Use the promo code CRITNATION at checkout to get your very own custom color kit along with your Karoo 2 and a premium water bottle. So, we're here with Paige Kostanecki, Celine Oberholzer, Senior Women's Correspondent, is right alongside me. We're talking about Paige's journey, and we're doing that right now. I am Paige Kostanecki. I am from Charlottesville, Virginia, but I live in Richmond now, and I race for ButcherBox. You are just coming off now the ButcherBox team camp that was in sunny Florida. It looks wonderful from from all the pictures that Pat Daly has put up and that the team has been putting up. How was your experience in 2022 at the ButcherBox team camp? Uh, It was pretty amazing. I will say, to preface this, it was my first official team camp. Last year, I hosted it on my farm uh, that I was living on. This is my first official team camp. And so a mixture of excitement and nervous to just see how it all would play out. But it was so much fun to see the squad again, to meet all the new men's riders, and to just have time to hang out as a one huge group with our staff, big family dinners, big rides. Uh, It was so great to just sit down and finally get actual FaceTime when we don't have races in the background or just, you know, people popping in and out. And I I want, I need to, of course, point out that Celine, our senior women's correspondent, is here with us and she's going to be jumping in all throughout the course of our talk. I know she's got some great ideas of questions to ask you as well. But the critical question, and you previewed it a little bit right there, this is the Butcher Box team camp. Food. Butcher Box, did they send you a box? I mean, of course. And if they didn't, it would have been a whole thing. Um, Food obviously is really, really important to us, especially if we're logging really big miles, um, trying to recover from travel, and then jumping right into really long, full photo days full riding days. And they, of course, hooked us up. Steak, all the ground beef we needed for tacos, uh, huge pots of um, meat sauce for pasta. Uh, it was amazing. And people might not know this. Pat is a wizard behind the camera, but he's also a wizard in the kitchen. He really hooked us up with some really great food. My teammates, Andrea and Eddie, are also really fantastic cooks. So they kind of chipped in a little bit. It was a lot of fun. See, I feel like I was shorted a little bit because Andrea and Eddie weren't there in 2020 when I was at the Butcher Box team camp. Patrick Daly, of course, was. And so I can totally vouch for his cooking talents. But like, 
Andrea and Eddie, what were their skills? What were their gifts? Their brains work in a really cool way. And just, they are very resourceful. Like um, Andrea made us these, what you called like kitchen sink ride bars. And it was just everything in the kitchen that she could find. Like she chopped up dates. We had a little bit of like coconut flakes left over. I mean, they're both just really resourceful. Eddie has an old soul about him and he just knows recipes and and, and travels around to, you know, different restaurants and just remembers what he ate, tries to recreate them. Uh, and so they both just have these uh, really interesting palates and really interesting brains for food. Uh, I personally, if I can't steam it in a bag, I usually won't eat it. Steak on the pan, flip it over once, pinch of salt, very simple. Um, they get a little bit more technical with it, but it's a lot of fun. Uh, see, I've been watching a lot of Letter Kenny recently, and they get deep into their Wagyu and how they exactly want it cooked or their Berta beef. Uh, I was quizzed the other day about the 10 provinces in Canada and I left off Alberta. I just had a mind freeze on that one. So, you know, the four minutes, 400 degrees, flip it every minute, you know, that, that was the pattern that we were talking about here. I have a feeling that Eddie and Andrea would blow my mind. You know, I don't doubt it and I can't even speak to it because it's so above my head and my ability. So props to Project Echelon. It sounds like they're putting on a school over there. Props to my team for making sure that I don't starve to death. Uh, very grateful all around. I'm going to turn this over to Celine because she has got a question about the version of Paige Kostanecki that existed in 2019, pre-pandemic, pre-ButcherBox, and how she's different than the Paige Kostanecki that we are all listening to right now. So Celine, take it over here. Putting me on the spot already. <laughs> or dive, how this game is played. Right in. As many listeners of the pod know, we are have been friends for some time. And I would say over the course of that friendship, we have both become very different bike racers. But I would say you in particular have overcome a lot since 2019. And I'm curious if you would like to share a little bit of that process, how you went from, uh, I just lost my train of thought a little bit, but basically a chicken, would, a person who is nervous to someone who can just go off. the front. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like survival to animating the races. That's a really good way to put it. Uh, survival to animation. Cause that was really my goal was I just wanted to be a part of the race. And in 2019, I was at the back, wasting all my matches, just trying to hang on, willing myself to move up, but for some reason, unable. Um, and so I guess the quick backstory would be, I started racing in 2016 and had only bought a road bike a few months earlier. You know, I took to it quickly, but I, I moved up a little bit too quick, um, which I think happens in the women's field a lot because we don't have like a... 100 person cat three field, you know, that's local that we can really learn these field Peloton skills early on. So uh, I dabbled with a couple like pro level races in 2018. And then in 2019, I was like, I want to really go for it. And I joined Wolfpack and I'm very grateful they took a chance on me having not a lot of experience at that point. And it was overwhelming. You know, I went from being someone who was very strong and active. Uh, at the local level to just drowning really quickly. 
And I have a very loud brain. It's constantly talking to me. I'm talking to it. It has me listen as it talks to someone else. Like there's always a conversation going on. And I got stuck in a negative feedback loop and be at the back of the field. I'm like, why aren't you moving up? Why aren't you doing this? You drove all this way and you worked so hard. And this is what you're going to do with it. Like you took time off work to go sit at the back, but that wasn't motivating me to move up. It was making me feel pretty shitty. And I was just paralyzed back there in fear. I wanted to quit racing uh, at the beginning of 2020. I wasn't finding it fun. And when the pandemic hit, I felt like a sigh of relief almost because I didn't have to choose to quit racing. There just were no races. And I asked myself, that should not, you know, why is that your initial reaction? You should be upset. So you have two options. You can make racing fun again, or you can quit. And I chose to try to find my passion for it again. How did you approach finding the fun in racing again without having access to races? That's a great question. And it's all visualization. Again, very rich internal life on my part, a very active imagination. And I would think back to what I liked about racing, uh, quote, back in the day, right? Again, haven't been racing for very long, but at the beginning of my racing career. And I liked to feel strong. I come from a weightlifting background. I liked displays of strength. And I liked to go out there and test myself and test my own limits. And you need the confidence to do that, right? And I was like, I used to be so confident. And I used to be hard charging. And now I'm just like so small. I really diminished myself. And so I thought of all of the characteristics that would create the racing persona that I wanted. A person who was shark-brained and confident um, and aggressive Uh, and just went after what they wanted and didn't hold themselves back. It sounds corny and I promise you it is so worth it and you feel stupid in the beginning, but that's kind of the point. I would say out loud all those things that I wanted to be. And I would look in the mirror and I would say, you are strong. You deserve, you put in so much work. We wake up early before work and ride in the dark. We ride in the dark after work. We freeze uh, we sit on the trainer and just get our you know, brains drilled in looking at the wall or staring at a graphic. We drive all these distances. We make so many sacrifices. Like We deserve to do well. You deserve to do well. And I just kept reminding myself of that and that it was, it, it's within me and I just have to keep chipping away at it and allow myself. I have to get out of my own way, basically. And so I just practiced talking nice to myself, which seems so simple, but it's so hard because you don't believe any of it at first. But if you say it over and over again, you can, you can convince yourself. And then you start saying it out loud to people. Yeah, I race bikes and I like to go fast and I like to attack and I like to have fun. And you, then you say it to a team and you're like, I can do this for you, which is what I said to Butcher Box. And you basically, you have to be your own hype person and you have to be nice to yourself nice to yourself. I want to focus on one thing about 2019. And I want you to explain to us what the difference was. So when you raced local, because you're, you know, you were a Marlboro racer, you were a mid-Atlantic bicycle racing racer. You went to, you know, the William and Mary Tidewater Classic that you got second, you, you know, got third at the Todd Stadium crit in Southern Virginia in the Tidewater. And then 
you go off to the tour of Southern Highlands, which is a substantially larger, more regional race, and your performances are back of the pack. And then you come back like a week later for the Shamrock Criterium, you win it. You win the Maryland road race and you do very well at Jeff Cup, which is like the best women in Mabra are at Jeff Cup and you walk away with fourth. Then you turn around and go do Speed Week and you get beaten. What was it about 2019 version of Paige that was so confident, so capable when she raced locally, but the moment that she lined up against the best in the country, that that confidence like seems to vanish? It's a lot of the field size. I would get freaked out, people being so near me, swarming me. Uh, and it was the pressure that I was putting on myself. You know, racing locally is a different kind of pressure. People expect you to do well. They all know you. And so you feel like this different pressure racing at home. But in 2019, when I was racing on, you know, the national stage doing USA crits races, it's this sensory overload. So I'm already coming into it nervous. I have these really high expectations of myself. I'm on this new team. It feels like my first more of like a pro experience, you know, Wolfpack has entrusted me with a bike and a lot of resources and a lot of trust. And, you know, I'm grateful for that. And I just put so much pressure on myself and it just compressed me and compressed me. And it became this, again, a negative feedback loop. Like it's, it's, it's great. It's these crazy things that you do in your head. Like I would come to a race and I would be afraid that I wouldn't finish the race because it was really hard. And I'm going to Sunny King and UHC is there and all this stuff. And so then I was like, well, I don't want to eat this huge meal and a bunch of bagels and other, you know, high carb things throughout the day, because I'm probably not even going to finish this race. And so I don't, I don't need all those extra calories because I'm not going to do very well. And I'm already nervous. So it's hard to eat anyways. And so you, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? And so all of a sudden I'm dropped after 20 minutes or I'm hanging on the back for the entire race, beating myself up, yelling at myself, screaming at myself in my head. Why can't you do this? This team has trusted you to be here and you can't even show up from your teammates. And, you know, we would be in the car and this is nothing to do with Wolfpack. Like they're all excited talking about the race. Like, Oh, Abby, when you did this and Pip, when you did that. And they're like, Paige, how was your race? And they had to ask me because I was doing something totally separate. They didn't see me. I was at the back feeling sorry for myself, being scared to move up, being afraid, you know, not using my size and my strength to claim my space. Um, I, I, maybe it was a feeling that I didn't deserve it, but I, I just had a lot of these fears and anxieties. Uh, and it was really wearing me down. So you talk about reaching a point where you had a decision to make in 2020. But leading into that, so like I'm thinking end of season 2019 was probably the preface to your decision. Fork in the road, find fun or quit racing. I'm wondering at what point did you just did the pressure boil over? Like I imagine at some point everything just snapped. Like there was so much building and building and building. And then did something happen? I see what you're um, saying. Um, you yeah. know, I had some pretty bad moments uh, mm-hmm. in the 2019 season. And one really sticks out to me. Uh, we were at Toad and we were delayed like 90 minutes for a storm. And I was terrified of racing in the rain. And I want to get to that 
shortly how I combat those kinds of fears now. But I was terrified to race in the rain. I was so scared to crash. I have shoulder issues. I'm like, if this thing pops out again, I'm like, I can't do another surgery like that. And we are waiting in the car and like my teammates are having fun and eating gummy worms and dancing. And I'm sitting in the trunk. Like, I don't even know what to do with myself. I'm so nervous. I don't want to race. I keep saying out loud. I don't want to do this. And I just line up and I haven't even taken my raincoat off. I was just at the back of the field and they're like, okay, Paige, take your raincoat off. Like you can't see your number, like the officials from the stage on the microphone. And I can't even decide if I want to do this. And the whole peloton is turned around and they're looking at me and it was just a terrible feeling. And then, um, uh, Laura Van Gilder, who's just an amazing person. She's like, it's okay, Paige. Like, I think she's something like you don't have to raise or like, it's going to be okay. Like she's trying to comfort me. And I was just a complete mess. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to start trying. I'm just going to try to race. And I took off a jacket and I handed it to someone. And like, I could, I think I maybe finished two laps of that race. I was just so, I was crying. I was so upset and mad at myself. It was one of maybe the worst feelings I've ever felt in a race. I, I wouldn't say that. So there was moments like that throughout the season where I'm like, what the F am I doing right now? Like this, I'm not having fun. Uh, and this is miserable. And uh, I was applying to teams after, you know, the season ended and I was still like trying to do this, but I didn't feel like I had a purpose. I was like, what is my reason for wanting to do this? I was just going through the motions. Cause I'm like, this is what you do. Like if you're not offered another contract, you go look for teams. So then I decide, you know, I'm not finding any teams. I'm just going to race solo. I liked racing solo. No problem. And I did some training races in Richmond. Uh, I think it's a snowball crit. They're just, it's fun. Cause you're with your friends, but it's 20 degrees and it's January. And I get there and I was like, I'm not enjoying this. I don't have, I was training. I like to train. I've always loved to train. I'm doing it regardless, but I just didn't feel the fire to line up. And that was really striking to me because I was always excited to race. And now I was like, I can't even bring myself to pin up, pin on the number. Going off of that, what impresses me the most is that you always tried. Like you kept showing up and you lined up. You didn't stay in the trunk of that car. Like you lined up, you ended up taking off your jacket. You still did two laps and you just kept showing up even when it was, I mean, what sounds like you were going through panic attacks or anxiety attacks and to push through that. I know how hard that is. I'm really glad that you found the fun in biking again, because obviously something kept you coming back. And I'm wondering if you know what that is. Then I don't think I did. I knew I I like to express myself through strength and through physical activity. I I think that's a, I'm a writer too. That's my, my job, uh, my nine to five job, but I like to, so I just, I like to express myself in general. You know, I like to talk to people. I like to write and I like to be physical in the world. And cycling is a really great way to do that. So I've always really liked that aspect. And I love to be outside and all those things. And there's just something about cycling that's really freeing to me. At the beginning of 2020, I was like, I still feel like I have some kind of unfinished business. Like, I don't want to end it on that. And I feel that there is something more that I can do. Like, I can solve this puzzle. You know what I mean? Like, I'm in a mental bind right now. And I've gotten myself out of a lot of mental binds. I had severe obsessive compulsive disorder and anorexia after my dad died. And I, and I had a bunch of overtraining issues and a lot of issues 
that stemmed from that and a need to um, not control other people, but to be very much in control of myself. And that was part of the, you know, hard adaptation with Wolfpack is I was always racing alone. And now I kind of have to give up a little bit of control. You know, the team is going here at this time. And now everyone wants to ride at this time, but you want to ride at that time. So I had a hard time adapting and being patient and listening and being flexible and going with the flow, you know, but I've overcome, I've survived every difficult moment up until now. So if you think about it that way, the odds are really in my favor. If I've gotten through every difficult thing, why is this new difficult thing any different? And so I was like, I'm going to solve this puzzle. And I've pulled myself up by the bootstraps before, and I don't see how this time can be different. That is amazing. And that is incredibly insightful and intelligent. I know you're an NYU grad. You went to New York University. It proves that it's a really smart school. But did you come up with this on your own? Or is there somebody in your corner who's telling you, no, Paige, you can do this? You know, where are you getting your support in 2020 through 2021 when you are making these fundamentally life-altering decisions? Um, it comes from a couple different sources. My mom always says, it's nothing you can't handle. My dad was in a wheelchair um, since he was 18 until he died when he was 47, I think, 48. Literally nothing brought this man down. He almost went to their Paralympics for sailing. He skied, he swam, he was a cyclist, all at a competitive level. Um, and he was a nut job, like in a really good way. Um, and so he never really, nothing was ever an issue in that way. It was always an adapt and overcome mentality. And so both my parents are kind of like that. Um, and they also weren't very competitive in that sense. They always were successful because they were having fun. And as once they weren't having fun, they would do go and do something else. So I was kind of raised with, with those kinds of mindsets. Um, and then I started training with Justin Bowes, who is terrific. Um, mountain and road coaching, mountain road coaching, excuse me. Again, you know, I, I, I bring up my very loud brain and it's always in second person. And Justin brought up how powerful to talk to yourself in second person is It's kind of like this, this third external source. And it, and it has more um, weight to it than, than I you is more powerful. And so I was already kind of moving towards this work of speaking to myself more nicely in a nicer way. And then he really hammers home the importance of self-talk and having centering phrases that can help interrupt invasive images and invasive thoughts and can bring you back into focus. And I would say also a lot of it is, and I, and I, and I don't say this lightly because I know how difficult the pandemic was um, for many people and how many lives were lost, but I, I really used this time to reevaluate what I wanted out of life. And it was actually quite, 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 quite critical for me because I began to find things that made me happy. And I, became, I, I, I began to pursue happiness in a very genuine way. And I realized looking back, what I thought were moments of depression, moments of anxiety disorders, was actually like 10 or 12 years of just straight depression with some really especially low points. 
So now I know what it feels to be happy, what it feels like to like myself, to genuinely like myself and think that I'm worthy and deserving of, of anything good. And I was like, wow, that feels really good. And I want more of that. And then I was like, I want to help other people feel that way too. You know, I've, I've come up with some tips and tricks in racing to help me feel confident and help me feel empowered and to help me like myself. And I want other people to feel that way too. And so now this is one of my more, even more motivating sources. Getting to a point where you can have the voice in your head be your friend rather than your enemy or your harshest critic takes so much work. So what was that process like? Because for so many people, myself included, that's going to be like a lifelong process. And it sounds like you've made so much progress in a very short amount of time. And I'm (laughs) so impressed with you as a person and just in general. Um, And I really want to know what that looks like. First off, you are a gem and I love you. And like, (laughs) y'all just get me in the feels right now. Um, It is something that if I don't work on every waking moment, I slide back into it. Because again, the brain is always talking. So if I'm not giving it positive things to say, it will say, oh, well, I'm just going to say something else, right? And people who struggle with OCD or other anxiety disorders are very uh, familiar with the invasive thought. It's terrible. And it, it's like um, a bug in your brain. And so I have to work every day. And when I, when I feel a negative thought about myself uh, arise, I don't get upset. I don't get accusatory. I very calmly ask, you know, what just made you feel that way? Like you just felt angry or you're feeling angry towards someone, or you just really beat yourself down about something like what made you do that just now? And I force myself to answer honestly. And I say, okay, you can only manage things as they come and as they are. So right now you're trying to control someone else. You're trying to have control over a future plan and you truly can't have control over any of those things. So this is the moment you're in. You're going to take a deep breath and you are going to manage the moment as it is and as it comes to you. And those things really calm me down. And so when that invasive thought comes in to my mind in a race, if I'm coming through a corner and I see a flash of like a crash or like I think of my the sound my shoulder makes when it dislocates or something terrible, I out loud, out loud, say no, no. And it cuts through that. It disrupts the thought. And then I, I, I put in a new image or a new phrase that makes me feel empowered. These are my centering phrases. I say, you run these streets. You are shark brained and you run these streets. And I'll say it out loud. You'll see my lips moving on the start line. You'll see my lips moving during the race. You might even hear me say it out loud, which is a new thing that I'm trying to um, get me really hyped up to fight for position in the final laps. Uh, And I'll do that throughout life too. If I'm on a training ride, if I'm at work and I can feel my stress rising and this person didn't respond to the email that I wanted and this project is going slow and we missed this deadline and I'm like, All we can do is manage things as they are and as they come. So just look at this moment and take a breath. I love that. That's pretty amazing. Two questions from this. Have you shared your mantras with your teammates? 
and or asked them to say these things to you during a race? Oh, okay. So I have not uh, asked them to say them to me during a race. I like this though. They know how to talk to me during a race in a way that cuts through. Uh, I respond very well to Stern. It may sound mean to other people in the race. Uh, it is not. This is how to speak to me in a way that disrupts my brainwaves. Um, but I, they do know my phrasing. I say it to them. I say it to them all the time. And I've also encouraged them to come up with their own uh, centering phrases. I feel comfortable sharing mine. Uh, I think they're all personal. I encourage everyone to think of at least one. Uh, and if you want to share it and you feel comfortable doing that, do so. If not, keep it to yourself. But I think there's a lot of power in finding words or phrases that um, you can imbue with meaning that help you feel powerful. And again, you can use them throughout life and it can function as a deep breath. It can function as a pressing pause. And it just grounds us back into the moment and it refocuses us to what we're doing. Um, well, so I'm a really visual person and I find sometimes my brain is what your brain does and it just rattles on. And then other times it's kind of a void. And so when I have found really impactful, life-changing moments, I like to get a tattoo to remind me of visually how those moments felt. And like you said, made me feel powerful um, and made me have confidence and so I'm wondering if that is something you've also done, seeing that you are also a fan of the tattoos. I am a fan of the tattoos. That is for sure. Much to my mom's dismay. Um, <laughs> I, yes, I do like to do that because they are tattoos. People always get upset. They're like, I can't decide. What if I don't like it later? You are capturing a moment in your life. And a tattoo is a moment that you get to think about often people don't like their moments. Okay. Cover it up. But, um, I do have a few, unfortunately for the listeners, they cannot see, but I'll show you as I talk. Um, I have my dad's signature on my wrist. It's the only letter he's ever signed. It's my most favorite tattoo. Um, I have a pair of dice on my arm that I got after intelligentsia. Um, cause I like to roll the dice. Um, I don't see any of my attacks if they don't work out as a failure. I see it as a genuine attempt that I poured my heart into. And there is never, ever any regret if I pour my whole heart into something. So I have a little dice tattoo. I have a shark tattoo, of course. I have a hammerhead to remind me to be brave and to be shark-brained. Um, I have a couple other tattoos planned. Sorry, Mom. So I'm sure there'll be more down the pipeline, but so far, those are the ones. What does it mean to be shark-brained? I've never heard that phrase before. Well, I have to credit it to Chris Hildreth. He had said it in this um, video he made of a sprint. Um, he dubbed over the sprint. It's actually quite funny. Um, check him out on Instagram, win at Window Liquor. But um, to be shark-brained, to me at least, he might have a different definition. It is to, and again, I'm going to preface this by saying in a safe way that doesn't hurt anyone. <laughs> But it, it's to turn off your brain and to tap into that primal state where I'm not thinking about crashing or skidding out or something happening. I am in this Zen state where I'm like, you have trained to do this. You deserve to be here. You are shutting out the noise. You are taking a breath. And that spot opened and it's your spot. You trained to be here. You deserve to be here. You came all this way. And that spot just opened up in front of you and you're going to take it. And 
to be shark brained is to move through the race and it is to own the race and it is to perform at this primal level and in this kind of Zen state. Can we talk about rolling the dice? Absolutely. I think this is a wonderful transition point from 2020 to 2021 and now 2022 because you've started racing already. If anybody early, often, middle, late in a race is up the road in a butcher box kit, there is a strong probability that it is you. You don't even need to see the tattoos in order to be like, oh, Paige is attacking. When did that become your persona? I am going to take it to the race as opposed to letting the race come to me. I got a little taste of that at Armed Forces. It's my hometown pro race. And I went off the front for a couple laps and it was exhilarating. It was fun. And I'm a big proponent of fun business only. If it gives you light, go after it. And showing, displaying that strength gives me a lot of joy and it gives me a lot of light. And so I was like, ooh, that was fun. And this is something that I can fine tune. You know, it kind of reminds me of like a deadlift. Like I can play with form and these little tweaks here. Okay, I'm going to go, you know, a little bit earlier. Okay, I'm going to go at this different point. I'm going to try attacking again, but out of this corner in this certain way. And it's just... It's something that you can constantly work on and work through. And in the moment, it's just exhilarating and it's a lot of fun. And so I was like, okay, well, that's a really great way to help work on my confidences in racing is to find something that I like to do in a race and then go and do it. Not to the detriment of team strategy. Of course, if they're like, hey, Paige, like we need you to kind of relax up until this point, or this is the goal, you know, I tailor it in a way. But Uh, I like to find moments of fun, of things that bring me a lot of warmth and joy in a race. And that's what makes me feel confident and powerful. Uh, And so I encourage people to do that a lot. If I, if I have a friend who's kind of struggling in the race, I'm like, okay, I don't care if you finish the race in the first 30 minutes, you're going to do one thing that brings you joy in that race. And if it brings you joy to, you know, attack on the outside or something, or to really gun it up that hill, then you go and do that. And you have one moment in that first 30 minutes that gives you joy. And you might actually find the energy and surprise yourself to finish that race and perform pretty well. As far as rolling the dice, I think that one of the main differences between how the men's Peloton and the women's Peloton race is that um, the, the women's Peloton is very concerned with racing the right way. Okay, this is the plan. Uh, if you look at it as a mathematical equation, if you do it this, this, and this, then you will achieve this result. And we are going to wait for the sprint. And I don't want to take a risk attacking too much because I won't have the legs for the sprint. I want to contest the sprint. And I feel like the men, they're not afraid to throw a haymaker. They're out there trying things. They're being aggressive. There is no idea of failure in their head. They're all attempts towards a win. And I think that you know, the women's Peloton can benefit from that. And I think we see that a lot more often. I attack a lot. There are now teams that really throw attacks. And I know Hoggins Berman, uh, when that team was around, was always a huge inspiration to me because they were always racing really aggressive. And so I think that we have little glimmers of this. Um, But a lot of times I just find that people are waiting for the sprint. And let's be honest here. There are a few, only a few people who are really going to be in true contention for that sprint. It's going to be people like Maggie's Coles Lister. So if you're afraid 
to attack or to to try something to roll the dice because it's not going to work out. I'm going to be honest with you. The sprint's probably not going to work out either, mama. Like, go and do something, you know, go and try something. And if it doesn't work, that's okay. You learned something. Take notes. Take what is useful and then move forward. Don't let all the, well, what if and this and that. Okay, take what's useful and move forward. Yeah, definitely. And I really, I had never thought of comparing the men's and women's Pelotons like that before. And I wonder if it's beyond just athleticism and it's it goes deeper into how we're raised. And I think in a lot of ways, there's, yeah, there's a lot to be analyzed there. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think it's athleticism at all. I think every single person that I race with in the Peloton is 100% capable of rolling the dice. And that could actually be, you know, rolling the dice now for me could be being in the bunch sprint. That kind of makes me nervous. That's my last piece is the is the final two laps. I'm still working through, um, I'm, a, I'm a large person. I'm using my size to to not just move up, but to hold my space and to claim my space and to really fight for position and to be in contention for the sprint. So that could be my new rolling the dice because that's what it feels like now. That is some unknown territory for me. So rolling the dice can mean different things to different people. It doesn't have to be literally doing that and going for gamblers preems like I want to do. Um, but you might surprise yourself. And that race that I mentioned where I lasted two laps and had a complete mental breakdown, I came back last year and won a, won a um, I don't think it was a gambler's preem, but it was a $500 preem. And I was extremely active in that race. And it was one of my favorite races all season and one of my favorite courses. I think the real moral is you might surprise yourself. So it's worth it, you know? And we have a lot of people who also say, well, you know, I'm a sprinter and I'm a climber. And I'm a rollier, or however you say it. Okay. And people put themselves in these mental boxes. And if you're a sprinter, why would you even try attacking up the hill? So now I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to wait. And, you know, you might miss your chance. Why limit your, why limit your toolbox in such an aggressive way? You know, I go into every race ready to be the kind of racer this race requires. And I'm going to do my best to, to, you know, I have strengths, I have weaknesses, but to, be open to exploring all the different possibilities. Yeah, your mindset just from what you're saying is so empowered. And I can't stop thinking about what it would be like to race an entire peloton of like 75 women whose mindsets are all that empowered. It is simultaneously terrifying, but also it would be incredible for people to believe in themselves. <laughs> I mean, not terrifying in the sense that it would be sketchy. I think it would be the opposite. It would be so unbelievably difficult and unpredictable and just so exciting. Yeah, you know, I agree with that. And it really is um, believing in yourself and feeling good about yourself. And now that I know what that feels like, I'm so desperate for other people to feel that way too. And I see, and it sounds so corny, but also I'm like kind of a corny person, but like I see everyone's potential and I'm like, I'm like, you have it within you and you really just have to put your hand in the fire and give it a try. What? Tell me, the, tell me the worst that could happen. It doesn't work out. Honey, try tomorrow. Try later in the race, you know, like, 
If the worst that could happen is that it doesn't work out or someone quote tells you no, that really is not a huge deal. To me. It really is not. That is such a blip on the radar. And honestly, it's just more kindling for the fire. If it doesn't work out, I'm so much more motivated to go back to the drawing board and figure out something else to do. So you've got one more piece of the puzzle left to make the full page package. And that's that last two laps. What is, this this is a two-parter, what is the thing holding you back? And what is it that you think you need to do in order to break through? Well, uh, the classic perpetrator, fear. Uh, I think that it's scary. And I know that Celine can attest to this. And it's just the jitteriness of the final laps. But we had a lot of crashes in, in the last lap, in the final corner. We had a lot of that kind of business. And that can really stick in your brain. Because here's the crazy thing. You're right to feel that way. It's scary. It is scary. And that's part of the shark brain is shutting out the scaries and focusing in on what you're doing because you've chosen to do this. So you're accepting this risk, right? And I feel people swarming around me and I, you can feel the energy. It's like an electricity running through the Peloton and it kind of makes me, you know, it just puts a tightness in my chest. So I was like, you know, exactly your, I had the same question, Rob. I was like, what, what do I do about this? You know? And so I've been trying some things. I've already been racing. I went to Arizona for three weeks. I did Valley of the Sun and Tucson Bicycle Classic, which are two very challenging um, stage races in Arizona. And uh, I'm sure if anyone is listening who was there racing with me has some questions for me because I was out loud, uh, quite loudly actually, saying, I am shark-brained, out loud, because saying it in my head wasn't enough anymore. I was still finding myself kind of in the back. And every time I said it, I kind of, I got an extra jolt of energy and it made me want to move up and it made me want to be there even more. Now you'll say, Paige, you got 20th at the Valley of the Sun crit. Alrighty. Okay. But that doesn't tell the story. It doesn't, t- that result doesn't tell how I said I'm shark brain out loud like 10 times and did not give up my spot in the field. Didn't move up, still working on it, but I didn't give up my spot. And then when we came around the final corner, when other lead up trains were sitting up or other people were like, ah, it's not worth sprinting for 15th and yes and no, but I kept my brain engaged. I said, you are not going to give up. You are going to sit in the saddle, move around that person and then get out of the saddle and sprint again. You are not going to give up. That could be the difference truly between 20th and 10th place. If you just kept going safely towards the line. And so it is keeping my brain engaged and fully present in the moment and not future tripping about what could happen five seconds down the line, but being in that moment and saying, I am here. I chose to race. I accepted the risk and I'm pushing forward. I honestly think that after the last year, a lot of people are working out how to get through the last two laps safely. To give you an example, after the road race at Valley of the Sun, Maggie decided not to race the crit. And Maggie, who was on our podcast talking about some horrible crashes she's been through that she processes with a psychiatrist, with a therapist, and she has just like you, an incredible mindset, but that she communicated with her team and was like, you know what? I don't feel safe racing the crit. It's not worth it. Just goes to show the lasting effect that some of these 
physically and emotionally (laughs) traumatic events can have on people. I talk a big game, right? I want to be clear. If you truly feel unsafe, if you are like, I just have a bad feeling, I can't get past it. Like, I'm not saying cancel everything now and just run into a cement wall. I think Maggie made a great choice for her personally. We do sometimes have to listen to that voice because again, what you're feeling is valid. It's the correct reaction to be afraid of all of this. It's insane that any of us are like, no problem, chief, and just going straight in. You know what I mean? And so I think the first part of this equation is accepting that the fears are valid, but we are choosing to do this and I still want to do this. So what is a way that I can listen to myself and hear myself, but say, okay, but you want to be here. So let's figure out a way to go through this. And sometimes we don't want to be there. And so we shouldn't be there. Do you know? And if you need to talk to a friend or seek professional help, uh, I think both and more is necessary and important. Where, where do we go from here? What is 2022 going to look like for Paige? Because, you know, 2021 was 50 plus races. 2019, again, huge numbers of races. You know, you love this sport. It is fundamentally clear. Where are we going with it this year? Well, I mean, it's always seeking the next level, right? And we have a new great addition, uh, Andrea. Uh, and I'm so happy to have five strong women on the team now, myself included. And I'm just really excited to further fine tune the team strategy. And I think that we got it towards the end. You know, I'm very lucky to be on a team with other women who like to attack and to animate the race and to keep it aggressive. And so, and and I think we're going to see more of that too. I think it's going to be a really exciting season because we have good gals racing now. That's a new team. Roxo Racing um, with Miss Celine here. They've really strengthened their ranks and have a lot of amazing goals. Um, Automatic has strengthened their ranks. Um, United has done the same thing. Legion finally has more riders. So like, it's exciting. We have so many more women that are in this sport. DNA is as strong as ever. It was so fun racing with them in Tucson um, and to see those team tactics emerging so early and to see how, like, what a cool way to culminate team camp. I just think in general, there's a lot to be excited about with women's cycling. And again, corny, but I'm just happy to be a part of it and to continue fine tuning all of these really great things that we developed in 2021. So it's like we were working with this raw material that season, and now we get to mold it into something um, really, really tangible. Thank you so much for joining us on Criterium Nation. Um, we loved having you. Oh, and I loved being here, and I love you guys. And Celine, you know the place in my heart that you have. So thank you very much. I appreciate you guys. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the show. We are a proud part of the Wide Angle Podium Network of Shows. Today's episode was produced by Celine Overholzer and edited by me, Rob Kelly. Remember to get in your submissions for the Criterium and Waffle contest by DMing us at Criterium Nation on Twitter or Instagram, or sending your submission to us via Gmail, which is 
criteriumnation at gmail.com. We are looking forward to all of your submissions and we'll be featuring our favorites on the show in April, on April 6th, our season preview show. So without further ado, we will be off next week, but we'll be back in two weeks to talk about everything that we see happening in 2022. So join us again then for more stories from our Criterium Nation. <laughs>